Tiffany Werner. Hello, and thanks for listening. This is Moments of Clarity. My name is Tiffany Warner. I am a licensed mental health counselor, and I'm your host. And today we're going to be talking about substance abuse, addiction, recovery, things that work and don't work, and also what could work for you. And we have two certified counselors on here. We can answer questions, and you're welcome to call in 866-826-1340, share some experiences. Um, what I love about my guest so much is he's very transparent and honest about his past. So it's going to be a great show. Before we start, I'd like to say hi to Ed, my friend at Tantalk Radio that um, I miss so much. And hi, Ed. Hi there. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. I can't see you. Well, I'm blocked. Somebody's, not. Yeah, it does. It says, it, uh, Ed says you cannot start the host's. Yeah. Well, we could fix that. Try again. There we go. Here we go. There you go. Hi, there you are. It looks kind of breezy on the bay out there. It is. It's a nice, crisp breeze. My hair is blowing in the wind. It's a beautiful nice. day. Just a few clouds in the sky, and it's it's pretty hot outside, actually. Mm-hmm. But it luckily, is. like you know, um, my office is indoors, <laughs> and uh, and it's a nice breeze. But the the leaves don't seem to move on my back. <laughs> And you dodged all the rain I've been getting at the station today. Oh, hopefully you don't want to, we don't have weather conflicts. Last time on Friday, I got struck by lightning and lost my Ouch. guest lost me. Wow. Um, it was, was it last Friday? It was um, with Johnny Rock. That's pretty funny. Right. right. But um, so luckily we have people behind the scenes that could step in. And then I came back. And I'm, <laughs> what do we uh-huh. do? Because <laughs> the Wi-Fi uh-huh. went out. Yeah. It does. We got to love live radio, right? Yep. But we weren't even on the radio anymore. It was right after. So yeah, you just left. Right. Right. Yeah, I just left. But thanks so much for being here. And hopefully we get a lot of callers. So just, you know, um, I don't expect any negative ones today. But anyway, so, yeah. So anyway, let's get back to the guest. Um, Eric has been through quite an ordeal his whole life. um, And arrested four times before the age of 18 and facing 15 years in prison, um, at least, and among other things, and went from that to becoming a clinical director and a certified counselor and wrote a book. And I can't wait to hear your journey and welcome to Moments of Clarity, Eric McCoy. Thank, thank you. you thank, you for, thank you for having me. It's, it's wonderful when, um, when not only people learn from their journey in life, but then have some positive advice of, of telling people what, you know, help them as well. So let's start from the beginning. Tell us your story. Start from 
the you journey know, <laughs> and where you found your moment of clarity. The the three words that begin the name of my book, I kind of identify the beginning for me, pain, failure, and misery. Pain, uh, failure, and misery define <laughs> your life. <laughs> it, it sort of started it all, you know, and it took me years to figure out, you know, some of the answers probably to some of the most difficult questions, like okay. what happened to me? Where did I go wrong? What was wrong with me? And, uh, you know, and writing that all book, the victim, all the victim thinking that we, we do before we kind of put our lives back together too. Absolutely. And it was, it's funny when I wrote that book, I wrote it for obviously people out there that are struggling. Um, I wrote it for families. I wrote it for clinicians and, but ironically enough, it taught me <laughs> more about myself than uh, than I ever thought was even possible, and um, you know, and so how my my life was from the beginning. What'd you go through? Well, so um, I was gonna I was gonna throw out this word too, and I know it's a very scary word, but I I self diagnosed myself many years later as a sociopath, even though I know that's not necessarily the Antisocial uh, personality disorder, psychopath, yeah. sociopath, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I always debated on do you, can people, you know, create it or is it genetics? I know that's kind of a big factor, but I believe personally that I created it within myself. I had great parents growing up. Uh, my dad was, um, you know, always wanting to, you know, provide a great, uh, you know, great family. We lived in, a, in great places. We went to great schools, but we moved a lot. And I think that that was something that really had a huge impact on me. When I was uh, in third grade, we'd moved from Hacienda Heights to Northern California. We lived there one year. Then we moved to Pennsylvania. I went to a uh, private school there. And then my half my sixth grade, I went to a, uh, like a Catholic school. <laughs> then we moved back to Northern California where I went to junior high at a public school. Then I went to high school in a different city um, where I went, I was a freshman and then half my sophomore year. And then that's where the real trouble began. But what was interesting, and I think about this is that I personally, I created this environment where I wanted, I never wanted to be close to people and I separated. Well, I mean, that makes sense. As soon as you could get close to someone, you'd move. Absolutely. A lot of people are like that, especially military kids or they call them army brats or it's hard to make friends. And especially back then we didn't have social media to keep in touch. So you were constantly having to say goodbye. Yep. And if you got close to someone, it would hurt to leave. Yep. That, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And, and I, and I, and I always knew that, and that's sort of what I ingrained in me. And so I removed all emotional connections to people. Um, and as a sophomore in high school, that's where really, things really got crazy for me. Um, and then that's really where substance abuse came into my life. Um, and I learned about myself that once I learned that I can put something in my body, and it will change how I feel, and it will numb myself, and it will alter my state of consciousness. Life went crazy, and it got crazy really quick. As a sophomore, I um, I basically took my parents' van, went into Oakland. We, me and a friend of mine, bought a uh, case of malt liquor. We broke into the high school that I was at. Uh, we stole tons of money. We 
smashed computers. We destroyed the place. And the following Monday, I went to school and cops were everywhere, but I was convinced I was invincible as we all are when we're at that age. Mm-hmm. And the following day, I ended up getting arrested because one of the guys told that I was involved. And, um, and so that was the first arrest. And of course, I was kicked out of the school, had to go to another school. So it was just another time where, okay, now I'm in a whole new environment. And I finished my sophomore year there that summer. Um, again, I got really drunk and we uh, basically stole these tractors in the middle of the town. We were we were fighting them with kind of doing wars <laughs> against each what, other. Like on the original Footloose? Yeah. <laughs> you ever seen that movie? And they're like, and they played chicken with the tractor. Yeah. And like, you have to see who jumps yep. off first. Yep, that's exactly. And, and of course, cops were called. I got arrested. Originally, they charged us with Grand Theft Auto and uh, <laughs> was originally reduced to For a tractor? Yep. And, Grand Theft Auto. Yep. And so I was given at that time, because I was still fighting the case that I had before, I was given the opportunity of either two, two years in California Youth Authority, which is juvenile prison, or 30, mm-hmm. days, and 30 days in treatment. And so I was 16 years old at this time. We again moved from Northern California down to Southern California. And so I ended up literally leaving juvenile hall, got on a plane, flew down to Tustin, and I went into Tustin Medical Center, where I now had my first opportunity to experience treatment, the 12-step program, you know. What caused you to move around so much? My dad's work. My dad's work. What was it? He was, was uh, he he was actually an executive for Bank of America. And so he, he was uh, like a branch manager in Southern California. Then he, we moved to Northern California uh, because he became the vice president and that's where the headquarters were getting promoted and it was best for the family, but they didn't put your, what it would do to you in consideration at the time. Yeah. And I don't know it might affect you not to blame them. I'm just saying they, yeah. And it did. Parents do that. Yeah. And it just, I think it really did have a, major impact on me mm-hmm. I, um, I work with a lot of kids and the, the, the adjustment to readjust and get pulled away from people they love and they finally get situated and comfortable somewhere and then move again 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 mm-hmm. and always having to be the new kid is is traumatic on a lot of them yeah and i think total in total i went to seven different high schools um it's between- crazy between juvenile hall and going, even when we moved to Southern California, I started back at a uh, public school and I went to a private school. Then I got arrested. Um, I ran away from home, uh, violated my probation. I got arrested actually in Northern California um, and then transported to Southern California back to juvenile hall. I was sentenced to 60 days. I spent 30, put on house arrest. And this is where I, I really think about my um, the sociopath, it, you know, antisocial personality disorder within me was I had no care whatsoever for people's feelings or their emotions. Um, I had, um, um, after I'd gotten out of juvenile hall, um, I was put on house arrest for 30 days. I got upset with my mom. I screamed at her. I cussed at her, clipped the bracelet off, threw it in her face, and I left. And I went to my girlfriend's house um, where I was again arrested the following day. Um, I wasn't very smart on hiding somewhere. <laughs> and so I was they arrested. They knew where to find you. Yeah. And so then I had to spend another 30 days. And um, yeah, I worked eight, eight years in correctional facilities, such as juvenile halls. Um, I, I 
went into counseling and became a therapist to specialize with at-risk youth. Mm-hmm. So eight years in detention centers and as a psychological specialist in, in correctional facilities and maximum risk and, and juvenile hall. Like, that's kind of, yeah. like Absolutely. so I know what you went through. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I eventually, I ran away at 17 and I ran off with the grateful dead. <laughs> In a way. Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, I took off, um, and off and on for you got to see Jerry Garcia live. I did off and on from oh. 91 to 95 when he died. I, um, anytime they'd roll into town and usually it was Las Vegas first, I'd take off. If I had a job, no matter what I was doing, I'd take off. And were, were they soul searching for you or like, did you just like, you know, people would like say that they opened their mind and all this stuff for why did, why the Grateful Dead for you personally? You know, I had this, I really, I was so lost in life. You know, I didn't, I didn't have any passion for anything, any desire to make anything of my life. And to me, that whole life was exciting. You know, I felt that I connected with the people that, you know, I met with. And of course, there was lots of drugs, and that's where I, you know, really delved into LSD and all the hallucinogenic stuff. And the Grateful and, Dead included drugs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little bits, little bits. Totally here. kidding. Totally kidding. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, something and, you can say that you did that not a lot of people were able to um, witness. Yeah, and we I have to- um, some comments on Facebook Live. Um, penalizing the youth lost is not fair messes up their lives there should be a better way to support our troubled youth and also joe uh, potosi says thank you for your time what a story eric we're just getting into it (laughs) grateful dead though but after changing schools so many times you know kids usually get slipped through the cracks or you don't pick up where you left off or that you're having to get used to new teachers and all that stuff and i have your book in my hand here and it's so well written and articulate. You'd be, I'm kind of surprised, you know, that that. Well, I guess I, I, it's coming out the wrong way, but I mean that you learn to write so well <laughs> without, you know, having a, a consistent education through all of that. You know what I mean? That's one thing that I've always had so many people tell me that I write really well. I mean, and, very well. That's the thing. That's kind of like after hearing all and I'll the tell you, I'll, all tell you where, I'll tell you where this all came from too. So, you know, I had, so back at that time, you know, I, I had this real, I like I had glimpses of time where I felt, you know, I want to do something. I'm tired of what I'm doing. Even when I was running around with the Grateful Dead, you know, we'd end up with like rainbow gatherings and, you know, all that, all that crazy stuff at hippie communes up in Oregon. And I all of a sudden had one moment of clarity (laughs) where I was going to try something new. And so I joined the military. And so so before we get into your next segment, it's time for our first break. So we're going to start off and pick up there when we return, but he did say a moment of clarity and welcome callers to call in 866-826-1340 time for our first break. And we'll be both back with moments of clarity and just a moment, please stay tuned. 
You're listening to Moments of Clarity with Tiffany Werner. We welcome your input at 866-826-1340. Tiffany will be right back after this. This is the Tantalk Radio Network. Do you ask yourself any of these questions? Will I ever be able to get out of debt? Will I ever be able to retire? How am I going to pay for my children's education? How do I begin saving for my family's future? And if something were to happen to me, will my family be taken care of? Have you struggled in finding the answers? Forever Forward Financial can help answer these and many more questions about your financial future by teaching you how money works, by providing you the financial education you seek, by assisting you in making the right retirement or educational decisions that are best for you and your family, and by helping you take the necessary steps in establishing and meeting your financial goals. Please call us today and schedule your complimentary no-obligation meeting to discuss your needs and concerns. The number 727-422-7761. Hi, this is Tiffany Warner, your host of Moments of Clarity. Living with a mental health disorder is not easy. If you or someone you know are struggling with this, please know it's so important to seek treatment and I'm here to help. Please visit the website at momentsofclaritywithtiffany.com to view blog posts and resources on this site to help educate and inspire you to take action because there's no shame in seeking help for mental health. While you're there, please take a few seconds to sign up for my email list. You'll get some extremely valuable educational and entertaining content that can be sent right to your inbox each week. Plus, you'll also get instant and free access to my guide on managing your anxiety. You can also follow me on Twitter at MOCWithTiffany and at Facebook at Tiffany Warner. And once again, the website is momentsofclaritywithtiffany.com. Thank you so much for your support and for listening to your show because change can only come when we stand together as one. This is the Tan Talk Radio Network. We are back to Moments of Clarity with Tiffany Warner. To join in the discussion, call 866-826-1340. Now, here's Tiffany Warner. Hi, welcome back. And if you're just tuning in, my name is Tiffany Warner. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and I'm your host. And for those watching virtually, I was accidentally on mute. <laughs> no. Anyway, um, we're accepting callers to call in 866-826-1340 if you have any stories of recovery or addiction or questions of your journey or some feedback. You're welcome to call in 866-826-1340. We are live until 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And before we went to break, um, we were talking to the author, Eric McCoy, and he's sharing his very, very hard journey of, of self-awareness. Of self and he had just followed the Grateful Dead for years and then enter, entered the military. That's where we left off. And go ahead, Eric. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, back. you know, prior to... Prior to actually joining the military, I want to make make a because I think some people can relate to this. That when I look at my my drug of choice, right, and which my, was which actually became methamphetamine, okay, and that was something that got really crazy a little bit later on um, from where we're currently at. But my real drug of choice was adrenaline, and my real drug mm -hmm. of choice was dopamine. Um, you know, I do a podcast called recovering through highness and it's based on the idea that, you know, we don't get high on 
we don't get high on drugs. We get high on our own chemicals. And I'm a guest on your show on September 5th. Looking forward yes. to it. Yes. I'm very excited. And when I was as a young kid, I remember being taught by, you know, my parents and teachers and everything that drugs are bad and sex is bad. Those were the two things that, you know, um, and, and of course I tried them both, you know, between, you know, sex and drugs. And I found them not to be bad. And I always felt that right. you, you, you said you entered several Catholic schools, right? Um, went to Catholic went to school one, for 12 Catholic, years. Yeah. One Catholic and, and then one Christian high school. Yeah. They, and, they put that in your head and then most people rebel to figure out if they're lying or not. Just And I, and I, did. <laughs> like and I was somebody, I was somebody that everything that felt good, everything that gave me pleasure, I wanted to do a lot of it. When I started smoking um, at a pretty young age, I, the sole reason for me smoking was the head rush it gave me. Mm. You know, I was told. So you were smoking meth? No, no, I'm talking about cigarettes. Like when I first right. started smoking cigarettes um, at a young age, I mean, that was, you know, everything that I did, if it felt good, I wanted to do more of it. I was told as a kid, if you smoke, dry up banana peels and smoke it, it'll give you, get you high. I was, it's on, let's try it. I dried up banana peel, smoked it. It gave me a headache. There was nothing high about it. <laughs> or dry out orange peels, make them moldy and then eat them. No trip. There you go. It's in the juvenile hall. He used to try to do that yeah. a lot. And so, yeah. And so, you know, sex became also another compulsive behavior when I was, you know, when I was young and, Prior to me, prior to me joining the military, I did go through another moment where I was going to try something new, and I attempted college. And so I went to Chico. Um, went to Chico. My brother went to Chico State, and I went to the community college up there. And I came to Where's realize Chico State. Um, it's up in Northern California, um, kind of okay. off the five freeway in the east, um, up closer to Sacramento, and. I came to find out that Chico state was the number two party school in the country. And have you ever lived outside of California? Yes. I, I lived in America. going back up in North, North, South, North, South, North, South California for <laughs> it seemed like well, we lived in Pennsylvania when I was a kid and I did live in Maryland uh, for, for a while. And so I had uh, um, at Chico, my drinking just went way out of control. Um, and I had my first serious head injury, which is also a component of what I actually talk about in my book also, um, that um, me being drunk, being stupid, I got punched in the head and I landed on my skull and I had a contusion that stuck out about two inches. Of course, didn't go to the doctor. And this ultimately, what I come to find out later, caused a medical condition that was potentially going to kill me. And what was um, it? it's called arterial vesicular malformation, which is a lesion in your brain. And mm -hmm. they used to believe that it was due to um, something you're born with, but they have changed their opinion on it. Now they actually say it's a result of some kind of head trauma. And so I wonder how many football players go through that too. Absolutely. Yep. And, uh, and so um, I had that experience and then I decided to go back to Southern California dead rolled into town, took off. And, uh, and then again, this is where, again, I, I decided to try something new. So I don't, I joined the Navy 
And because of How my- How old were you then? I want to say I was 19, I think 19. And because of my record, it kept me from being able to go active duty. So I joined the reserves um, and I went to boot camp in Great Lakes, Illinois. I uh, went to my A school in Port Wainimi, California. And once the reserve time came to play where I was going to be, you know, finish my school. Okay. Now you come back once a month. I took off and I was gone for about two months, missed my monthly thing. And, and that's when I, this was in 94. I had an apartment in Southern California and I had a grand mal seizure lasted 10 minutes. Wow. Uh, And that's when I was diagnosed as having this AVM and they wanted to do brain surgery. And I told them you're crazy. (laughs) You're not cutting into my skull. Yeah. I don't know if I can either. It's scary. You know, so I pretended like it didn't exist. And, um, and then I, I left, um, in 95, I moved to Maryland and prior, just prior to that, I got really heavily onto meth and meth did something for me that moved me more towards the sociopath to a psychopath. And, and, and what's that meaning? What? that I had no care, emotions, or feelings for anybody. Um, so when you were on meth, just out of curiosity, without the care and feelings for anybody else, how clean was your house? And did you start writing your book then? Absolutely <laughs> like, not. Did you color a lot of stuff or paint? or like? Uh, I, what did I you did, do while on speed, basically? I broke into houses. Um, I, I got involved in credit card fraud, check fraud. Um, that's why you're saying it. Yeah. That's why I'm saying like, like sociopath. Okay. So your house looks pretty clean behind you, uh, on the virtual, you know, yeah. you write articulately a lot of people, you know, and, and this is the story that, um, but instead I know, I with never... meth, you, you stole from people and robbed and took and what was your mission at the time? Um, to support my habit. Um, everything, you know, after coming back, so I moved to Maryland because I needed to get away from meth. And that was the reason I originally went there. And so I did that geographical thing. Okay. California's a problem. I met this girl, moved there to Maryland and, um, and they didn't have meth out there, but of course I started doing heroin. We started doing a lot of ecstasy, uh, smoking a lot of weed girl gets pregnant. We go back to um, North, uh, California because these drugs were becoming a problem there. And so now Maryland's the problem. So I'm going to go to California. I'm surprised and, you liked heroin if meth was your drug of choice. It's kind of, yeah, I, I, dibbled, I dibbled and dabbled, but I was, you know, in, again, anything that made me feel good or took me out of my head or took away any care that I had for anything I, I was going to do well, whatever was available. Mm-hmm. And I end up going back to California with this girl. She stays, she stays clean during her pregnancy. Um, I did not while she was. That pregnant. was your, your baby then. It was. And can I ask you a question? That's kind of sidebar to take back. What were you running from all this time? I mean, arrested what four times before the age of 18 and all of that. You had a good family, but moved around a lot. However, 
I didn't. I, I'm trying to see what you were trying to run from within your head or within yourself. I didn't know who I was. Um, I didn't know what I wanted in life. You know, but I didn't. Nobody feel, does before I didn't feel, the age of 18. I didn't feel that I was going to be able to accomplish anything. Um, my, again, my sole interest, once I found the ability to get out of my head and to feel something different, um, that's what I did. And again, anything, you know, whether it be drugs, it be masturbation, it be, you know, um, were you uh, traumatized at an early age that you know of? No, not that I know. Of. Um, sure. Or maybe all the moving around was more traumatic than, you know, or I don't know. I think the moving around, I always felt like I had a hard time getting friends. Of course. And, that's because you had to like start over, over again and again and again. And so the friends that I always seemed to latch onto were the ones that seemed exciting. The ones that seemed like, oh, we can go out and do something fun. We can do something great. We can break the rules. And you're attracted to risk takers. And those are the, probably the ones that were more willing to accept a new student. Hey, come join us. Let's do this. Let's do this. Yep. Absolutely. And after you do it a couple of times, maybe instead of feeling sociopathic, maybe you felt guilt and shame that you were doing some stuff that you knew was wrong and then just kept doing it because you're like, why not? I broke the seal or not. So let's keep going. Definitely. Without yeah, definitely. a strong support system. Hold on a second. We have a caller on the phone. We have caller Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to Moments of Clarity. Hi. Are you guys able to hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Ryan. Okay, great. You're calling um, in. Something inspired you. Well, yeah, something did inspire me. And it's that, you know, uh, Eric, you're talking a lot about how uh, uh, substance abuse really messed up your life in a lot of ways. You ended up on intensive probation, you're on house arrest, you're in jail. You're not able to function as a normal, growing up, troubled person. Your entire life gets thrown uh, completely asunder. And now I, I'm coming from a place where, and I, and I'm, I'm just grateful for this. I, I, I don't have, uh, the addiction and recovery challenges that you have, but I was a troubled youth as well. And I ended up in jail for a number of things. I got arrested out of geometry class once that was awkward, <laughs> but, um, that would have been a saving grace for me. Take me out of math <laughs> class. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, I am I Tiffany. Love, um, I'd be happy to go with you. I love geometry, but okay. what I what I wanted to ask you, Eric, is in all of your research and putting the book together and all of those things, have you come up with some kind of answer for how we better train our first responders? How we better train the people that don't necessarily understand what you're going through? But how do we train people to support our troubled youth at that time? You mean to kind of like, like this thing about breaking the stigma? Mm -hmm. Well, not only breaking the stigma, but also, you know, we don't need to throw a teenager in jail when a teenager just needs guidance and help. Yeah. I, I can't agree more yeah, with that. I'm going to, I, so I do, I, I've thought really, really heavily on this, you know, in the sense that, okay, so we have, you know, our youth, number one, they obviously they believe they're invincible, as I think we all had. Um, that we're or you could have been rebelling. 
And it, it sounds yeah. like you haven't put a lot of thought into why you were doing that at such yeah. a young age. All of, here's you where know. here's here's where I think we fail as is as a society. Right? Is that you know, as in early on when people are in school, we need to start learning teaching people how to think for themselves. You know, how to learn to love themselves, how to care about themselves. Um, Instead you know, of teaching to the test and just making people go through the curriculum, absolutely. giving people critical thinking. Yes. And, and I have a lot of kids on my caseload that they say something that's kind of off. And I, I ask them why they would do that. And they're like, well, it doesn't seem like everyone else is doing that. Or it seems like everyone else, especially superficial cutting or stuff like that, or why they stop talking to their parents about everything or it seems like none of my friends are doing that anymore. Like, or that seemed like my friends started cutting. I'm like, well, just because if all your friends are doing it, it almost sounds like cliche. Would everybody jump off a bridge? Would you do it too? But a lot of kids don't know who to go to for help and they follow the crowd and it's negative because their support system's not. In place. Well, and oftentimes the guidance counselors who should be the, fir- the first people that give you good advice as a kid, they don't know how to deal with you no. if, let's say no. the police are involved or anything like that. Mm-mm. And so they you just kind of get kids. pushed aside. Yeah. The, uh, you so know. anyways, Eric, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and jump off so that I don't take Thank up all of your calling, time Ryan, on the Thank you for calling, Ryan, but that was some great but food for just, thought. Thank you. Yeah. I just, I just really, I just really, uh, I appreciate the work that you've put into your book and, and to, and to really researching this topic so that you, so that you present it uh, in a way that needs to be presented. So thank you for what you do, and I'll take everything else off the air. <laughs> thank you very okay, much. Thanks. Um, uh, and it's almost time for another break, but before you get into that, so don't forget, we, we have just um, another break, and we end soon. The radio show goes by fast, but uh, we'll be on live and talking a little more about this in detail too, so don't feel like you're going to get cut off there <laughs> but um it's so much to talk about and um and there's so much room for moving forward and with your book pain failure and misery are the stepping stones to success um you come up with with self-help tools and words for or places for journals and places to talk about how not the same help works for everyone and we'll get into that in just a minute Um, It's time for our second break, and we'll be back with Moments of Clarity in just a moment. Please stay tuned. We will return to Moments of Clarity with Tiffany Warner after these messages. This is the Talk Radio Network. If you are like most people, you worry with the financial challenges you face today. How do you protect your family from financial ruin? How will you reduce your liabilities and get out of debt sooner? And how can you deal effectively with the constant changes in your job, your career, and your business? Overcoming your financial challenges is like building a house. You must build from the ground up. You must learn how to make more money, save more money, grow your money, and protect your money. Forever Forward Financial specializes in teaching you these four basic money skills so you can achieve your dreams and end your worry. Call us today and schedule your complimentary no-obligation meeting to discuss your needs and concerns. Call Scott Bigley at 727-422-7761. Are you looking for a great book? 
If you like to root for the underdog, Joe Potosi's book is a book for you. A real American odyssey that will grab your attention with its fast-moving narrative. You won't be able to put this masterpiece down. When the Dust Settled by Joe Potosi. Go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Zulin Press. Hi, this is Tiffany Warner, your host of Moments of Clarity. Living with a mental health disorder is not easy. If you or someone you know are struggling with this, please know it's so important to seek treatment. And I'm here to help. Please visit the website at momentsofclaritywithtiffany.com to view blog posts and resources on this site to help educate and inspire you to take action because there's no shame in seeking help for mental health. While you're there, please take a few seconds to sign up for my email list. You'll get some extremely valuable educational and entertaining content that can be sent right to your inbox each week. Plus, you'll also get instant and free access to my guide on managing your anxiety. You can also follow me on Twitter at MOC with Tiffany and at Facebook at Tiffany Warner. And once again, the website is momentsofclaritywithtiffany.com. Thank you so much for your support and for listening to your show because change can only come when we stand together as one. Hi, this is Tiffany Warner, your host of Moments of Clarity. I'd like to give a shout out to musician songwriter Don Lawson, who wrote, produced, and performed all the vocals and instruments on my Moments of Clarity theme song. Don gained his inspiration as a mental health counselor himself. He's always looking for artists to record his songs, and you can hear more of Don's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Don Lawson. You can also check him out on Twitter at Don Lawson Music. Thank you so much, Don, for your contribution to Moments of Clarity and ending the stigma on mental health. This is awesome. This is the Tan Talk Radio Network. Now back to Moments of Clarity with Tiffany Werner, licensed mental health counselor. To engage in the conversation, call 866-826-1340. Here's Tiffany. Hi, and welcome back. And if you're just tuning in, this is Moments of Clarity. My name's Tiffany Werner. I am a licensed mental health counselor, and I'm your host. And we've been discussing addiction and and at-risk youth and how to help them and and so much. And my guest today is a very talented author of Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success. And it's a wonderful book. And welcome back, Eric McCoy. Thank you. Eric, while we were on break, we had a caller and we have caller Joe. And Joe, thank you so much for calling in. Welcome to Moments of Clarity. Tiffany, how are you doing? Hi. How you doing? <laughs> hey, Eric. Thank you for your time today, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, hey. How you doing, Joe? Doing good, man. Do you have a question? Hey. Yeah, I do. I can relate to what you went through. My time in jail, in and out, was while I was in the Navy. And I would drink alcohol to kind of take away the pain. But my question is for you. At what point in your life, was there somebody that came into your life that kind of took you on the shoulder or kind of took you by the arm and kind of began to show you a better way to bring you to where you are today? Um, Great question. Thank you for calling in, Joe. You know, okay. Thank so two thousand two thousand two, um, after I had been you know arrested four times in six months, and I was looking at fifteen years in prison. Um, you know, I'd honestly say that the, my family was a big support, you know, um, that, that really kind of showed me the sense of what unconditional love really is about, that, you know, I can go about doing all of these horrible things that I did, and they were, you know, a big part of it. 
the reality being is that I was in custody and I was by myself and I was alone. Um, and so a lot of the, the stuff initially for me revolved around this just, you know, serious hatred that I had for that drug life. I, I hated that life even before that final arrest and being stuck in custody. Um, I truly hated that lifestyle. It was no, I, I wasn't getting high anymore. I was doing it just to stay awake. There was nothing exciting about it. And I, in custody during that time, I distanced myself from everybody in there. Um, I, started reading. I got books. I started writing. And this is really, I think, where, you know, a lot of my writing started coming into play was I, I really started, um, once my head was clearing up a little bit, I was able to write and and just read a lot and studied and thought and thought. And I thought about my life and thought about things and what That's it what happened. incarceration does to people. It helped. It It was what I needed. It was the only way that, you know, the power of the addiction within me, I was IV, I was, you know, slamming it. Um, I was up to slamming an eight ball a day. And um, intravenously with crystal meth or crystal meth. And my it was so ingrained in me. I mean, there was, you know, one of the true symptoms of, of, um, you know, substance use disorder is, is to continue to use despite negative consequences. And, and that was the, epitome. where your life became a manageable or yeah, there's all arrested, types of programs. got arrested, uh-huh. I post bail, I got arrested, I post bail, I got arrested, I post bail and went immediately back to, you know, and, um, I, and I, I mean, you didn't follow the plan. The system let you down. I used to be an assessment therapist specialist at drug abuse foundation down in Florida among other rehabs as well, but um, an assessment to find out if someone qualified for classes, only outpatient or or residential and just the arrest, the legal aspect, the continued use. um, You probably would have tested positive, which would have done another defect or any DUIs, any criminal record, things like that is just, puts right somebody qualified for residential and then and then you would have to follow through with family counseling and then intensive outpatient and then outpatient and right. then maintenance and then some sort of sponsorship or you know yeah yeah it was a uh, program i was six i'm six three i weighed 130 pounds during when i'm in my last arrest um so you're like a stick figure completely i was i was emaciated and that's and what that does and I did have the opportunity once I got out of custody, I went into treatment for six months. I opted to do it longer because I was absolutely convinced this time that I was going to do it. I was going to, um, and I had to fight it. I mean, the cravings were just, were unbelievable when I got out of custody and I teach now at a school, um, called new creation college where I teach upcoming counselors. So I teach the educational requirements also for people that are working to become counselors. And when I had originally gone back to school to become a counselor myself, the one class that, that interested me the most was when we was the physiological effects of drugs and alcohol and how that works, the part of the brain that it affects. And it made sense all of a sudden, you know, I had this moment of clarity Well, especially with methamphetamines, long-term use, it takes a while to think clearly because you're on speed. So you think 
that you're smarter. You think you're quicker. You think you're um, more articulate, everything. And then coming down off it, it's almost like sludge. You have to relearn and like, not only that, but get used to your, how normal people, not normal, let's say um, sober, abstinent people, not on that drug. So it's when people are on the speed, they think they're doing the right thing. They think that they need to spend 50 hours polishing a stone. I don't know, whatever, just, but it's most of the time a waste of time, you know, Um, but not to them at the time. I and then coming down off of it makes people feel very um, cognitively impaired, so to speak. The depression is unbelievable. I had, you know, they towards in 2001, when I was doing that stuff, um, I had this acting ability that was unbelievable. I should have, I mean, I could have, I should have been an actor in these senses. I could, I could cry at will. Um, I got a, I got out of tickets um, by, um, a police officer pulling me over. I'm driving on a suspended license. And I immediately went into this crying spell about my son just dying. Um, and I have to leave. And that's why I was speeding. I'm so sorry. And the guy just looks at my license, hands it back and I drive off. And I just, you know, and my, I, I, I mastered this concept, you know, of the manipulation in, in being able to do things. And I would play stories out and huge grant. I mean, I wouldn't miss a thing. I was so articulate mm-hmm. in my, in my, in those abilities. And um, you could talk a dog into wanting to be a cat at that point. Actually, I've had friends of mine that have said, uh, you know, they don't want to read the book. They want to see the movie. <laughs> you never know. You never know. We get actually was, and, I, and review publicists that, that I was actually writing. I was actually writing, I've been actually, I, I have no idea how to write a transcript, you know, but I started, I actually started writing one just based on research. I, I, so if anybody's out there that actually has knowledge on that, would be great. <laughs> so for the listeners though, it's yes. Eric McCoy and it's recovery ecosystem presents. So if you want to follow him, a lot of his um, tags are recovery ecosystem, but not only that title of the books, pain, failure, and misery are the stepping stones to success. And I have the book here, and just to summarize, not only does he go into a lot of his past and everything, but he talks about different types of recovery and how not every recovery works for just one person. So if you're looking for help and rehab didn't help or and you don't want to do AA or NA or SA or codependency addiction uh, anonymous um, or celebrate recovery or private practice, that to not give up because there are so many roads to recovery is what he says and then not only that in the back of the book he gives um questions to consider at the end of each chapter for people that are recovering and and it's just so well written and not only that but it gives the readers food for thought and then at the end as well there's a place with for lines that where it's asking you questions to think about as well and kind of like a workbook so like it's for anyone that is even contemplating recovery or that is in a in a tight spot right now thinking maybe I do need help, um, this, this book I would highly recommend as a good read, not only for that, for the professionals that um, are listening to, to recommend it to clients because it's, um, I think it puts everything into perspective for someone that is suffering in silence that are 
are losing their family members, maybe up for divorce, things of that nature, and are very hesitant to enter rehab, very hesitant to admit there's a problem, and maybe wants to try it on their own or that needs to get that kick in the butt, maybe, um, or moment of clarity. <laughs> so I'm going to give myself a chance for that, but um, I would recommend it to other clinicians to recommend to clients as well. And I'm going to do that for myself as well, Eric. Um, I do have yeah, wrote, clients I, that can read this. Yeah, I said in the beginning of the book, and I what I what I really wanted it for was for people to make it personal. You know, the, mm-hmm. the first three chapters are my are my you know glimpse of my story. So that's it's pain, failure, and misery. Then it goes a step into the unknown, and then the third part is stepping stones to success. And it you know it there's so much stuff in there about you know identifying who you are. I got to you know for me to become happy, successful, and you know, I need to know who I am. Who am I? You know, when I lived in that drug world, I'm a, um, I, I lived in a world that was plagued with psychosis, you know, that okay. was plagued with um, living in a world that didn't even feel real. You know, I didn't know mm-hmm. who I was, my values, my morals, all that stuff. Um, they were so skewed because I would have some, then I'd get loaded and then I, they change. And, and so you never know who you are. You know, um, there's a chapter in there on thinking for yourself, learning to think for yourself, not thinking through the minds of other people. Um, you know, people get sober because of what they don't want, but people stay sober because of what they do want. And that I think is, is, you know, so important for people to think about, you know, Mm -hmm. On Facebook Live, it's um, caller said, Eric, how difficult was it to get past the physical and emotional repercussions of coming off the drugs, not to mention the guilt and shame and overcoming your criminal records so you can move forward with your life? It was difficult. And it was it was a lot of years um, in custody. I was emotionally a disaster. I mean, I would like they'd play a Hallmark commercial and I'd start crying to a Hallmark commercial. My, I had no control of my emotions at all. And that was so challenging. Cravings were, were something I had to battle. I opened a program in Anaheim in 2009 where I focused on alternative sentencing. And I, I really tried to impress upon people, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight for it. And that's the, and that's what this no, is. I love that. I love that. You can do anything you want. If you can fight, if you want to fight for it. And a lot of with the drug and, and alcohol is like kind of similar with any trauma in the past, like childhood sexual abuse, adult survivors of something that to the aftermath of coming out, the shame and the guilt and all that they carry for so long is undeserved. And with addiction, it's a disease. It's undeserved. Sometimes we do things when we're out of our mind and a lot of people have a hard time letting go of man that I stole from my parents or I did such horrible things while I was under the influence. But, but I mean, we learn from mistakes, mistakes are learning opportunities. And also not only that, but it, it, it seems like that's, where people start to hit rock bottom and rock bottom is the foundation where we can rebuild our life over where we can rebuild our life. Um, but a lot of people don't want to let go of the past because the past is what they're most ashamed of, but they can move forward and then they can pay it forward. They can 
give to someone else. They can sponsor someone. They can become life coaches, become counselors such as yourself and help others. And that's where the, the beauty really, in my opinion, is really there because some of the best coaches and counselors in addiction um, facilities, re- rehabilitation and residential are the ones that are in recovery that have been there that can say, you know what, I understand. And um, we're running out of time. So I want to say thank you so much. And don't hang up on me, Eric, but thank you so much for being on Moments of Clarity. Eric McCoy, you can find his book on Amazon. And it's Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success. Thank you so much, Eric, for being on Moments of Clarity. Thank you. And please follow us on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash MFC with Tiffany. We're on Twitter, on Facebook always. And um, um, Moments of Clarity, MFC with Tiffany.com. And We'll be back tomorrow. We're on every Thursday, Friday, 12 to 1 live, uh, Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much, Ed. Thank you so much to the team, to everybody. And and everybody, be kind to yourself and a stranger. You never know what, you, what they're going through. Take care, and thanks, everyone. Hi, and thanks for waiting. We just ended our radio segment, but we're still here on virtual. And um, Eric, you did great. Thank you. Pause the video right after me every time. <laughs> and with some of those questions, they're hard, you know. Um, but with, I mean, you know, I'm a therapist first and foremost, so I'm going to give you some probing questions that's going to make you really think about. I don't know, you know, but um, not to put you on the spot or anything. But All right. kind of like, But I work with at-risk youth on purpose. I specialized with that because I once was one. So I can understand, you know, my parents died when I was young, I was traumatized and I lost my way. So I can relate to a lot of what you said. Um, I wasn't clumsy and I didn't get caught as much as you, but, (laughs) but, you know, um, we all find our moment of clarity at different times and there's different types of help for everyone. But that's why I was asking you about your pain and suffering from the beginning, because I know where mine started. You know, they, I knew where I lost my way, where I felt alone and I wanted to escape was when I found my mother dead on the floor, I had a brain exam and it started there when I was 18 years old. And mm-hmm. how quick a trauma can make us lose our way. But moving around a lot, that's traumatic for a kid, for anyone. Yeah, yeah I think I, I you think just I, seem to have no one constant in your life. Right. Yeah, I, one question. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you go with what you're about to say, but I have a question for you, though. You want want me to ask you first? Okay. Well, at what point did you stop seeing yourself as a sociopath or do you (laughs) still see yourself as one? I don't actually. I, and I think when I, you know, when I had gotten into custody um, and I all of a sudden had this rush of all these feelings, I I really just, you know, I changed within, you know, I changed that idea. I wanted to connect with people. I wanted to, so that's why I don't think I was a true sociopath or a psychopath. Of course not. You know? First of all, um, that diagnosis can't be given until at least 18. So right. you weren't one. Right. Um, but as an adult, it, and that's where meth, you know, really. So you, you were talking about with kids. And I think this is something that, I, and I, it's something I've thought about. And I wrote a chapter in there on, for the youth. And one of the, one of the mistakes that I think everybody makes is that they lie to our kids. 
they lie to kids. And I think it's, I think it's important that we. About what? Well, so like I said, so anytime that we're, or, or it's a perception or a perceived lie. Okay. So if you have somebody that has done drugs, right. And you're working with a kid and you say drugs are bad and they've done them. They're going to immediately say you're lying. I've done them. They're great. Right. Kind of thing. And um, yeah. Or the parents that are too honest with their kids and they're like, Oh, I'm, I've done all that. And I don't want you to make the same mistakes I do. And then the kids throw it in their face. Mm-hmm. Well, you smoked weed when you were my age. Well, you did this when you were my age. So it's kind of a catch 22. But what about this tactic? I'm going to ask you this, see what you think. Okay. And this goes back to my podcast, recovering through highness, right? I like to get high. You like to get high. Everybody on this planet likes to get high, right? You think about it when you were a kid, how many people spun in circles to get this altered state of consciousness? How many people go to amusement parks to ride roller coasters, right? Mm -hmm. What are they doing? They're getting high. Because again, on adrenaline, highness is not a property of drugs. It's a property of people. It comes from within us, right? I did a podcast. I did a podcast. You got to watch it where I look crazy. Okay. And I said, let's get high. And that's the title of it. Right. And so my whole thing is, all right, I'm going to show you guys how to get high. Right. And so I go through this really crazy laughing, like just psychotic type laughing, but I laugh so hard that my face turns red. You want to see it? Yes. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I love you for that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but it's funny because I, I like, like I do that. Okay. And I mean, yeah, my face, tra- and I, that's why I say you got to do it till your stomach hurts and your face turns red. Right. But you feel. I probably have like a witch cackle. but you feel this head change though, you know, and that, and so what I'm looking for today is nothing different than I was looking for when I was using drugs. It's just that I found a way that's going to work. And this, the (laughs) highness that I have by having a maniacal laugh, crazy, huh? But like, but, but the thing is like you and I are sitting on here and we're doing a podcast. I'm getting high. You're getting high right now. It's a pleasure. We, We can call it feel good. Right. I usually call it how the guest feels after the show. They get a post show high. They feel like, oh, that was so fun. And like, you know, (laughs) yeah, I I don't get it very much anymore, but I, um, but the guests do. It's fun. It's fun hearing them. Like, that was so great. That was fun. Cause it was fun. Live radio and everything. And you know what? You didn't cuss once. Good for you. And I still haven't. I'll say the beginning of my book real quick now. Okay. Remember the word that I was going to say? Uh, yeah. I don't want to say this. Okay. So, and I can cuss now, right? You may. Yes, you okay. may. So the first line of my actual book, and I, and I thought so hard on this line. Okay. Is I killed that motherfucker was the first thought that came to me that early morning when I woke in 2002. Okay. Yeah. And when I was, when I was writing the book, I wanted to come up with a statement that identified the problem and the solution in one sentence. Okay. That's the first line of your book. Well, no, it's it, when you get to the chapter, chapter one, right after the mm-hmm. poem, right after the poem. Oh, after the poem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The poem is. Um, nope. Uh, still, it's not the first line. Unless the poem's still going. Oh, yeah. I get it. Okay. Something like that, right? Like, yeah. It's it's on page four. Yeah. It's the. So it's even, for- you guys, it's even like this, you know, it's easy to read, but not only like that, he cusses on it. 
Yeah. No, <laughs> there, is some, there is some, and I, what I wanted to do is really bring people into the mind of a crazy drug induced sociopath or psychopath, you know, and, and really get people to, to delve into that and understand it and how time doesn't exist. Okay. And, um, and, you know, psychosis is prevalent. Um, but that sentence that I, that I put there, and I always thought about this when I, when I wrote that was I wanted to come up with the problem and solution in the same sentence, right? I killed that motherfucker. Right. So that was me. All right. So, you know, from, you know, and that was, you know, when I was a kid. Okay. And I started using drugs and all that kind of stuff. Right. That was the problem was I didn't know who I was. I was gone. Right. My real me was no longer there. Okay. But I can't, but the solution was I did it. Right. So the first time in my life that I'd felt more freedom than probably ever in my life, I was in custody. Right. And so I also learned that freedom comes from within. It's nothing to do with anything external. Where did that freedom come from? The moment I took responsibility for my actions and I stopped blaming. Transparency and vulnerability. Yeah. I was arrested. However, when I was arrested, one thing I want to point out too. Finish your sentence though. I was going to say, when I was arrested, um, the second arrest I had, I was illegally searched and I had weed planted on me. The, the third arrest, the task force, all right, they, they pulled me out of my car, searched my room. They didn't have a search warrant. Okay. So there were legitimate reasons that I could basically say, you know what, this is bullshit. This is not my fault. Right. Uh-huh. You know, they, they, this guy planted weed on me, you know, they legally searched me and this was a, this was legitimate stuff. Okay. And but then I, when I came to the moment of clarity, <laughs> right, I, I, I just, I, I, you know, basically said, you know what, at some point in time, I said, those cops saved my life. No matter how they yeah. did this, they saved my life because they finally, I was locked down to where, okay, now I'm going to force myself to take a look at myself, you know, and well, I, you had no choice. You're in a controlled environment, drug free and with a lot of free time, you know, what else? I think you also had a self-defeating prophecy on yourself. You self-labeled yourself as a sociopath, psychopath. And in your head, since you saw yourself like that, it gave you the ability and the freedom to live up to that. Absolutely. You're like, you know, like F it. I, you know, I'm like this anyway, but you were misdiagnosing yourself. Oh, 100%. So you probably, you probably just, gave yourself that label and that's why I hate labels on kids, especially, but and you're like, well, if I'm like this anyway, then, yeah. and you lived well, up to it until you had that moment of clarity. And so when we label ourselves, we limit ourselves. Yes, and totally. And, and yeah. also a lot of people use their labels for mental health as crutches. Well, I'm mentally ill, so I can do this. I, yeah. well, I can't focus cause I'm this, or I can't do this because of this. And, um, and it does limit. And it's not only that, we should never use our mental health as a crutch. We should do something about it. Yeah. What do you think about, and here's, here's an example of it. You go to an AA meeting or an NA meeting. My name's Eric and I'm an addict. Uh-huh. My name's Eric and I'm an alcoholic. What do addicts do? They use. Why? What do alcoholics <laughs> do? They drink, right? And so now by that label, are people potentially setting themselves up? Because if that's I don't know what works for them, it's like exactly because like with their system though, um, 
the thing is, is that what's holding them back is that they were living in denial for so long and not admitting they had a problem. Right. So for them coming up and saying, I'm an alcoholic and admitting they have a problem was, is part of that 12 step program because a lot of people weren't able to get help because they're like, it's not that bad. I'm not really an addict. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. Right. So by standing up and admitting that they are not only the label, but, um, Facebook Live, owning your own crap is huge in recovery, not to deflect, but to accept it all and work on your character defects is key. Um, Ryan said, the police all knew me. I got charged with assaulting an officer because he didn't like me. I said the word shit, and I ended up having to carry that charge. The police are not always on your side when you're a kid. And I don't know how long we're going to do the um, after show, but before I do, I'm going to ask to say that show notes will be available soon at www.mocwithtiffany.com forward slash show. Go there now to see previous episodes and subscribe so that you'll be notified when Eric's show notes, podcast, and final YouTube show is published. So the show notes, www.mocwithtiffany.com forward slash show. We'll find everything that if you've missed anything, I was asked to say that twice, but <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> but, um, I just wanted to wrap up so that we don't go on too long. I can talk forever, but I get to talk to you more on September 5th, but yes. I'm gonna wrap up the show. Stay with me for a second, but everyone listening, please subscribe, subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash MOC with Tiffany. And, um, and please subscribe to Eric's book and, um, and purchased it, but not only that. Once I read this, I, I promise um, I will get a selfie with this. So you can, and I will write a review. I did so also want to say I I actually did an audio version too. It's on a, it's on Amazon. So I, and I actually did it. I read I read it. <laughs> well, good. You got a, you got a good voice for that too. So <laughs> the audio books. You know, I'm taking a road trip. I might actually like purchase that and just listen to it, but. I don't know. My re listening to my own podcast sometimes put me to sleep. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit that. Anyway, so thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, good luck on your recovery if you're suffering in silence. And there's always hope out there. And please, it's never too late to get hope, help, and hope is out there. And um, please tune in tomorrow. Tomorrow we have a great show coming up with a famous entertainer. So we'll see you tomorrow. And um, thanks again, Eric.
free.